Well, I've been uh, examining my heart and myself in the last few months, and maybe you're a little bit like me, but I've begun to realize a lot that I do not like people telling me what to do. Anybody else like that? Be it the government, be it the HOA, you name it, I'm, 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 I'm good with telling other people what to do. In fact, this kind of came to a head for me this year when we were sitting in my staff meeting at the, uh, or at the staff meeting upstairs at the church, and uh, we had uh, just received these badges like a week before, or a few days before actually, uh, just before school was starting. And these badges were given to us so that we would make sure that, hey, when you wear them on campus during school hours, parents knew who you were, it's part of our safety protocols, all that kind of stuff. And so we're sitting in the staff meeting and Eric, our executive director, he's looking at everybody and he's saying, hey guys, you all need to be wearing it. I'm thinking, why do I need to wear a badge? We got, you know, it's still one week till school starts. We, he's like, well, we need to practice. We need to make sure that we're all getting used to wearing badges. And there were a few of us in the room who were like, are you kidding me? We're going to wear a badge? This is ridiculous. And Nab was one of them. Like, this isn't good. I'm sitting here going, I want to wear a badge. This is a dumb badge. I go, and I had left it downstairs. So all of us who walked the walk of shame out of the room downstairs, you know, I grabbed my badge. And I'm sitting in my office, grabbing my badge. I'm going, badges, you know, stinking badges, you know, that whole thing in my head. And so I get back upstairs and I put it on. I'm doing my best to like calm myself down and, and not act like a dummy because I'm the senior pastor, you know, that's not how it's supposed to work. And so we get through the staff meeting. I go downstairs and I'm just like still like, like all turned up inside. And I'm like, this is dumb. So I start praying about it with God. And God then tells me, he's like, he tells me this. I'm just like, oh my goodness. And he reminded me that about six or so months earlier, Eric and I had been having this conversation and we were going through all bunch of, a bunch of stuff and I had said to him, you know, I think it'd be a good idea if we all had a bunch of badges. <laughs> so apparently I don't like telling myself what to do either. So that's kind of what, what it all came down to. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's a, it's a normal human problem to resist being told what to do and to resist uh, this idea that somebody else's agenda is mine. And uh, in fact, we often like to tell other people what to do. And it's that mentality that Jesus is going to deal with as we continue our conversation if, about prayer. Because this kind of mentality can affect prayer and teach us the wrong way to pray. And so we're going to look at that wrong way and the right way again, if you want to go with me. We're in the book of Matthew. We're at chapter 6. We're looking at this thing that many of you know and I know as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a, is a well-known prayer that many people have prayed. And last week we talked about the fact that it's not something you just say. It is a model of prayer. And what we mean by that is you're going to hang different thoughts on these various aspects of what Jesus is teaching us and how to have a prayer life, whether it's our Father in heaven and hallowed be your name, today your kingdom come, and on down the row. So we're going to be working through these. And last week what we looked at was we can pray wrongly when we have the wrong focus and that we need to have a focus on our Father and we need to be in private when we do that and that we need to hollow or lift up, cherish his name. And this week, Jesus is going to address another thing because we don't just want to read the prayer, we want to look at the context. And so as we look at this context, we lift up to verse 7 where Jesus begins to challenge us that we shouldn't just pray uh, any way we want because oftentimes we will pray to manipulate and Jesus does not want us to do that. In fact, prayer is not a manipulation. Very clearly, he says, we, we're not to manipulate. Notice how he puts this in, ter in the terms of his time. He says, when you pray, do not heap up all, you know, don't heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so he's saying, listen, all you nations out there, um, uh, they all pray in this weird way. 
They like to just heap up all these phrases, say all these empty terms, just kind of babble to the gods to try to capture their attention and get them to give them what they want. So this was a tool of manipulation because they think they would be heard by their many words. And so Jesus is getting into this. He's saying, look, guys, this isn't how we're going to be. We're not going to engage in a manipulation of God. This is not what our, our idea is. But yet, still today, as, as Americans, we do this, don't we? I mean, many of us have prayed, hey, God, you know, if you'll do this, I'll do that, right? They call it a bargain prayer. Like, God, if, if you'll just save my cousin or save my wife or whatever, then I'll serve you the rest of my life. Some of us have made prayers like that. Sometimes God hears those prayers, and most of the time as Christians, we, shouldn't, we should not be praying like that. In fact, what's interesting is that maybe as non-Christians, some of you have, got, have been in that habit of praying to every single God you can possibly think of because you just want to cover your bases. You know, you got, you got Buddha and Krishna and Jesus and you, Allah and you just name them all and you're just like, whatever God's there, hear me out. That, that is an attempted of just trying to get your thing that you want to the God so you can get what you want. And what it comes down to is that we can wind up Treating God like a vending machine. Think about it. God's not a vending machine. He's not this one that we plug the right phrases into, we do the right things, and out comes our answer to prayer. I mean, some of us Christians, we're guilty of this. You guys will actually be praying this whole time, and you'll go with amen, and, you'll, and suddenly realize, oh man, I forgot to say in Jesus' name. I forgot to say in Jesus' name. It's like I forgot to put the postage on the prayer, and it didn't get to God. <laughs> Maybe you've prayed, and your eyes were open. You're like, does that count? You know, I hope so. If you're driving, you better be praying with your eyes open, right? <clears throat> we have all these thoughts that, hey, if I don't do this right, if I don't kneel or put my hands together or put my whatever it is, then boom, I'm not going to be heard. That's vending machine mentalities. And what we're doing is we're turning God into the one who has to give us what we want. And if we have that mentality, oftentimes you will begin to believe that God doesn't answer prayer. The prayer isn't something we should do because God doesn't answer prayer. Look, I ask for all these things, none of never happens. And so I want to encourage you that Jesus said, don't look at God as a vending machine. Don't try to manipulate God. That's not our way of prayer. In fact, he will go on to say, included in this is, we need to be careful that we just don't start talking empty. We don't have just, our, our prayers aren't just full of empty phrases, as he puts it here. And this would be incoherent babbling or just layering all kinds of words together so that maybe God would hear you. Instead, what Jesus is gonna tell us is that we need to say what we mean and mean what we say. When you engage in prayer, know what you're praying about and pray for it. We don't need to you know, pray for it 15 different ways in order for God to really know that I really, really care about this. So hear me, God. And also, we don't just pray randomly. Now, some of you have been given the gift of tongues. I do not have the gift of tongues. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe it exists just because I don't have it. Hey, a lot of, I know a lot of people out there who don't have the gift of teaching, and I know a lot of people who think many pastors don't have the gift of teaching either. But the, uh, but the point is that just because you don't have it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? And so I've met plenty of people with the, with the gift of tongues. And my advice to you who have the gift of tongues, according to the scripture, is when you're in your prayer, if you're praying in a prayer language, if you're praying in the gift of tongues, you need to pray also with your mind. You need to engage also because you cannot just incoherently babble what sounds like babbling to you without engaging also in a meaningful, fruitful manner. In fact, that's what Paul instructs us to do, according to 1 Corinthians, says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? 
I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. He's saying, I'm going to give in intellectual talking to God while my mouth is being used to pray in tongues. And so whether you have that gift or not, it's just important that we don't fall into the babbling cycle. And if you've been trained in tongues, which is different than being given the gift, I'm just going to be honest. Somebody took you in a back room somewhere, sat you down and said, now let's, let's say some really fast words together, should about a hundred, should about a hundred, should about a hundred, right? Or something like that. And suddenly now you're speaking in tongues. That's not how you get the gift of tongues, okay? So I'm just encouraging you that if you have the gift, you'll know it. And do not allow yourself to just babble. You need to engage also with your mind. Now, that also means something very, very exciting to me, because I'm a pastor and I talk a lot. That is, prayer does not have to be long. If you mean what you say, and you say what you mean, then just say it. You don't have to say it 17 times, 30 times. You don't have to go over it for, for, for an hour and a half. Sometimes all it takes is you to get in the presence of God and say, God, I love you, you know that. And I really need your help with my kid right now, or I really need this financial help right now. And you just say it. We don't need to manipulate him. There's no amount of magic words you can put together to get God to do it. So we need to engage in a prayer. Sometimes it doesn't have to be too long. Let's just quit confession time. How many of you have ever fallen asleep during prayer? Okay. Okay. The worst part is sometimes we've fallen asleep during our own prayers, right? That's, that's one thing. We're praying too long, I, all right, I forgot to get there. Uh, other times you've been praying because you're in a, in a group and you're just tired or you got somebody who's really, really good at praying and they just pray for a very long time and I have ADD and I'm disengaged and that can happen. Now, the danger in this is I'm not asking you to be flippant. Those of us who fall asleep, those of us who think, oh, short prayers, awesome, can become an excuse. I don't have to pray that long. God, Bless everything, amen. That is not a prayer. <laughs> Save the world, you know, that, no. We wanna be specific about what we need. We wanna be engaged with God. We're not just to be empty words, but we don't need to multiply it. And so, you know your heart. You're somebody who's a little bit more lazy in prayer and you're like, yeah, I don't have to pray that long. Watch it, maybe you need to grow. If you have a tendency to feel like you have to say a lot of stuff a lot of times in order for God to hear you, you can trust and shrink it down because notice what verse eight says if you look down at your Bibles. He says, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. God already knows what you need. You don't have to babble on. You don't have to add layers and layers. You don't have to say magic phrases to get him to pay attention to you. We need to trust that God cares and knows what you need. He wants to hear from you. He knows you have that need. You don't have to capture his attention. He's not too busy making the galaxies and the universes hold together. No, he's capable of focusing on you and your need right now. And so we don't want to put any need too small at his feet. He sees them. He knows them. And he can handle our prayers. Here's the thing, though. There's some of us, the philosophers in the room, we're going, well, hold on a second, Greg. If God knows what we need, why do we need to pray? Ryan, uh, somebody in there. So then, and that's, that's a real question. Some of us have asked this. Like, if God knows what I need, why do I need to bring it to him? Well, it's a good, it's a good thing to, to understand that God knows what you need. But just because he sees what you need doesn't mean that you know that he knows. Doesn't mean that you're acknowledging that he knows. Doesn't, know, doesn't mean that you're trusting him to give you what you need. When we ask him, we enter into a relationship with him and we ask him for what we need. 
I mean, this is, this is just good, old-fashioned, healthy relationships. So my, my, give me an example of this. When my kids were little, I mean, when they were little, little, they'd come downstairs, and it was early in the morning, if I'd beat them up, and, and they, beat them up. I, 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 I got up before them. <laughs> that was awesome. All right. Have fun with that on Facebook. Uh, so... If I got up before my children, <laughs> they would come downstairs and they would just be like, I'm hungry, thump on the floor, right? And it's like, okay, I know they're hungry, so I would go get them something to eat, and get them cereal, make them pancakes or whatever, because they said, I'm hungry. Now, I have teenagers. If they came downstairs and they did the same thing, they went, I'm hungry, thump, I'd be like, oh, hi, hungry, my name's dad, you know, that would be the extent of that conversation, because that's passively trying to get me to do something. I know you're hungry. It's the morning. Last time you ate, I was with you. You know, this is, this is how life works. But you're big enough to go get your own cereal, make your own food or whatever you need to do. Now, if my children needed me because they couldn't make their breakfast because they were, they'd gotten up late or something was going on, they had to finish something for homework, and they said to me, Dad, I really need, I, can you make me something to eat because I've got to finish these things and I don't have time to make my breakfast. At that point, now I can engage in love and answer them. I know what they need, but that doesn't mean it activates me because I don't know that they want me to. Now, God knows if you want him to or not, and the way he knows is because you're gonna pray. He wants you to relate to him. He wants you to connect with him. He wants you to ask. And in that relationship, he will get moving. Don't think you have to manipulate him. Don't think that you have to get him to act in a way, in some certain way that you need to, uh, to get him to pay attention to you. He already knows. And so this is, this is important because now Jesus is gonna move into this conversation. He, he's gonna talk from this idea of, hey, okay, so we don't wanna manipulate God, so what do we do? So he moves into his prayer time, into his model prayer, and he taught us last week that we should pray like this. Again, it's a model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we're gonna focus on our Father, we're gonna hollow his name, and then he goes into the text. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't jump right into the needs. He goes straight into another phrase. He says, we're going to acknowledge God, we're going to tell him he's awesome, and then we're going to go right into talking about his kingdom. Well, what in the world is a kingdom? How many times have you read through the Bible and you're like, the kingdom of God is near, and you're like, what in the world is the kingdom of God? We don't live in a kingdom. We live in a, in a nation where we have a representative government, we elect our, we elect our representatives, and we, we have self-rule is what we call it. In a kingdom, you have subjects. Here we have citizens. How do we understand uh, this idea of a king? And so it's important to kind of paint it this way. A kingdom is anywhere where the king, who is ruler, has established control and authority because of his presence, either the presence of his dukes, his lords, and his, his other leaders, or his presence of his banner. Whatever is his territory is his because of his presence and because of his control. Now, God is present everywhere. There's nowhere God isn't present. There's no, nowhere that God isn't able to say that's mine. So in one real sense, whether you're in heaven or on earth, everything's his kingdom. Nothing is in his kingdom. So then the question is, if God rules and reigns everywhere and everything's his kingdom, why do you have to ask it to come? Why are we praying, your kingdom come? It's already here. The answer is because in this kingdom, there's a rebellion happening. 
In this kingdom, down here in the earthly sphere, there are those who are humans and those who are angelic beings who have said, God, I don't want to listen to you. Stop telling me what to do. I want to do it my way. The very problem we began with is the issue of the rebellion in which we are trying to proclaim, I'm the king, and God, you made me that way, so I can use you as my excuse to be the king of my life and the king of my world, and some of your kingdoms are bigger than others. Some of you have a kingdom that's reigning yourself. Some of you have a kingdom that reigns your own little family. Some of it moves beyond your family into a larger institution at work or or some other place, and then there are those who are actual leaders of governments and things. Yeah, our kingdoms can expand and extend to very large, large amounts of people. And what Jesus is saying here is, you got to be careful. When you enter into prayer, your tendency and my tendency is to wind up being about my kingdom and not about God's kingdom. So I'm going to jump straight to my needs instead of talking about something else. And so Jesus reminds us before we dive into our needs, he says, God comes before us. God comes before you. God comes before me. His kingdom comes before my kingdom. His will comes before my will. And so when we enter into this section of the prayer, what you're actually going to do is one very, very big word, and the word is surrender. I want you to write that word down. I want you to memorize that word. This section is about surrender. And that's why we stand in worship and we raise our hands, right? This is a universal sign of, I surrender, And when you're standing before God, it's a very powerful thing to to surrender to God your will, your way, your kingdom, and say, God, yours, not mine. And so Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, and I surrender. And so that means in this prayer time, you're going to surrender over all kinds of things. You may surrender over your desires. You may surrender over your calendar, and I would advise you to bring your calendar. Literally, open it up. Look through your day. Engage with it and bring, your, bring in not just your calendar, bring your budget because you're going to surrender that. You're going to surrender your identity. You're going to surrender your parenting or your grandparenting or you name it, you're being a spouse. You're going to surrender over your entire will and your entire stuff over to God during this time period going, God, I have one question. What is it that I am doing that needs to change? What is it that I'm doing in this day that needs to be in your will and it's not in mine? Or what is it that I need to do in this budget that needs to change? What is it that I need to do in my desires that needs to change? What is it that I need to do in the way that I'm thinking about myself, the way that I'm parenting? What is it that I need to do that needs to change so that I'm on your plan and not mine? So that I'm in your kingdom and not my kingdom. This is an orientation. This takes you away from being self-focused to God-focused, his plans focused, his purposes, his directions. And so he shifts us. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so this also reminds us of something else. When we pray, we're not the only rebels, right? I'm not the only rebel on, on the planet. There's all kinds of rebels on the planet. And those rebels gather together in things we call culture and governments and HOAs. I love picking on HOAs, but anyway. The point is simply this, that there are ways that we actually model this rebellion in different ways. And when we pray your kingdom come, what we want to do is we also, now that I've surrendered over my time, God, I also want to just ask that your kingdom would come against all of the injustices of this world. 
The injustices of racism, the injustices of sex slavery. God, I want you to destroy the pornography of this world. God, would you come out and would you please bring, bring your justice when it comes to abortion. Bring your justice and have children adopted. Bring your justice in all of these areas. And whatever it is, God has burdened your heart with the injustice of this world. You say, your kingdom come because when his kingdom does come, all that stuff will be done. It'll be over. But hold on. Because my atheist buddy who was up here just a little while ago at our multi-faith night, our multi-faith conversation, was in, it was interesting because he talked about prayer as an atheist. And he's, his basic idea of prayer was he didn't like it. He doesn't like it because what he, to him, what we're all doing is sitting around a room talking to the walls. Why would you all get together and just pray when you could do something about it, was his idea. Well, first of all, I was thinking... I don't know where your statistics are coming from because the church does a lot about it, but it's a good reminder. Do not use prayer as an excuse to not engage against the injustices of this world. We can't just pray, God, let your kingdom come and then not move on to and your will be done. If we pray your will be done, then that means I need to do his will. That means I need to get engaged against injustice at some level. I need to get engaged in adoption or engaged in some kind of like coronal life services. I need to get engaged in some manner where I am, I'm putting time or I'm putting effort or I'm putting something in to see this world better. Maybe you need to vote more informed. Maybe you need to run. Maybe we need to just see Christians step into these things and be ready to make the best arguments we can and then let the chips fall where they may because our point is to pray that his kingdom would come and to pray his will would be done which means we have to be involved don't use prayer as an excuse to not be involved and so when Jesus engages us he goes then ultimately we do pray God let your kingdom come I mean when Jesus comes back that kind of kingdom come and I get it that's not an easy one to pray for that's not, I mean, we've, I, mean I remember uh, surrendering over my will and stuff, and it's all tough. And it's really difficult with this kingdom come stuff because, man, when I was 20 and I wasn't married and I've been learning all about the rapture and all this stuff about Jesus' return, I remember sitting in my room going, oh God, I know I'm supposed to pray your kingdom come, but I really want to get married and have sex. Please don't come until after that. And some of the men in this room are going, amen, yep, I thought that. It's a pretty universal thing. I was a youth pastor, so I've heard it a lot. But look, some of you, maybe it wasn't that subject. Maybe you're going like, oh, God, please don't come back till this Netflix series ends because I want to see how it's just kind of going to conclude it. I knew students who were like, does Jesus have to come back before Harry Potter's finished? I want to know how the final book works. But there's all this kind of stuff in our lives that we're like, God, please let, let this happen before you, of course, but we need to surrender over all of these things, that we'd be on his kingdom plan, and that we would know that when he comes back, it's going to be better than any of those desires, because all that injustice will be done. All of that evil will be over. Man, how many times do we have to sit there after our sin and just stare at yourself and go, God, I can't believe I'm here again. Would you just come back so this would be over already? That's let your kingdom come. 
Because we know one day when that kingdom comes, hey, all of the earth and all of the ecology and all of the environment will be put right back into beauty. Everything will be put back in its right orbit. Every human will walk with beauty and care and in unity. There will no longer be anger and injustice and all this wrath and stuff. There will be no death, no pain, none of it. It'll all be gone because it will be beyond the day in which we stand before God and every evil injustice and every sin that has ever been done to you and been gotten away with will be judged and every sin that you've done to someone else and gotten away with will be judged yikes and in the day of the resurrection there will be those who go into eternal life and those who go into eternal death but so when we start praying god your kingdom come we realize what we're asking for and so it's always been a tension for me to go from that to well, God, that means there are people that I know right now, if you came now, they're not going in to eternity, into life. So I start praying, God, let your kingdom come to the hearts of my friends. God, let your kingdom come into the hearts of my neighbors. Let your kingdom come into the hearts of my family. Let your kingdom come into the 200,000 plus people that surround us, that who all they need to know is that judgment of hell doesn't have to be theirs. That when you come, it can have been summed up, placed on Jesus on the cross. It's not here yet. All they have to do is receive it. It's a gift. They just have to take it and receive it, and now they're free. They have to become adopted and be part of your family, and now they get this opportunity to live forever in eternity in a world without sin, war, destruction, injustice, and it's all beautiful and made right. And that's a gift. Why can't they receive it? Why can't they have it? God, please come into their hearts. But don't forget that when you pray that prayer, you also pray and let your will be done, which means he has called the church to go into all the nations and make disciples of all these nations and to teach them all that he has taught us. And we need to baptize them. Guys, that means we need to get out there and evangelize. We can't ask for God to come into their hearts and not go into their homes with the message. It's a call to evangelism. You see how now you're getting away from all your needs and all your wants and all your stuff to God, put me back on your plan. Get me back engaged. Take care of my excuses. Drop my lack of boldness. Wake me up and give me every opportunity I can. I want to take as many people out of hell and into heaven as possible because it's populated enough. We don't need any more people going there. And not on our watch. In our city, we want to see revival because we don't want any more, any more people facing a judgment they don't need to face. And so our call then, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is to put ourselves in a situation where we are oriented away from our rebellion and into God's kingdom. And when we've done that and we've engaged in that way, now we are ready to pray, give us this day your daily bread. Bread was a, the staple of every diet in the Mediterranean world at the time. You ate bread if you ate anything. If you needed something, bread was the primary thing. So it became the representation of all that you needed. So in our world, that would be, yes, food and shelter and clothing. That would be transportation and cell phones. I'm just kidding. But, you know, they, uh, our communication ability, there is a lot in our culture that's different in the needs factor, but the, the very core needs, what do you really need? That gets whittled down as you place yourself back in God's kingdom. Because sometimes we realize, I don't need that Tesla right? We go, wait, maybe I just need something else. And as we engage, we're going to see something. We're praying for our needs. 
We're praying for our needs. And no need is too small. No need is too great. You can bring them before your Father in heaven who knows what you need. He's ready. As you've oriented yourself, he's ready to meet you there. He's ready to connect with you there. And so you pray for our needs. Now, I am not so ignorant as to not understand how our needs are often met. Let's be honest. You go to work, you work hard, you get a paycheck, you can go to the store, you buy your food. You've just supplied your needs. And so there are a lot of people who are going, why would you even pray for your needs? Seems like all you gotta do is get out there and work hard and you'll meet your needs. Come on, people. Prayer is just an excuse to be lazy. And again, we need to be careful about that. Prayer is not an excuse to be lazy. God chose how to answer prayers and he's chosen to answer prayers through the church. He's chosen to answer prayers through your work. I mean, to ignore that is a lot like that guy who fell off the cruise ship. You heard about that? This guy falls off the cruise ship and he's floating in the water and he's pat- doggy paddling, doing everything he can to stay afloat. And he's praying the whole time, God, please save me. God, please save me. Somebody sees him from the cruise ship and they go, hey, some guy's overboard. And they throw down this, this, uh, this life ring to him and say, hold on to that. And he goes, no, don't worry about it. God's going to save me. I got faith. They go, okay, and so they just sail on, leave the guy alone, up comes this fishing boat, they see him, and they're like, oh, and they say they throw a net to try to caption, and he throws the net off, he says, no, I'm good, God's gonna save me. Up comes a helicopter, drops the, you know, drops the whole thing, and he drops this, this ladder and says, come on, get on, he's like, no, God's gonna save me, and he drowns. He gets up to heaven, God's like, what in the world are you doing here? He's like, why didn't you save me? He's like, what do you mean, why didn't I save you? I threw you a life ring, I gave you a net, and I brought a helicopter. The point is, you ask God, help me, help me, I need my needs met, and he goes, okay, go work, and I'll meet your needs. Go ask, and I'll answer. Go seek, and you'll find. Go knock, and the door will be answered. Jesus didn't say, all you do is pray. He said, you pray, you ask, you seek, and you knock. You also engage and go look for the answer that he's already provided because it's out there. And so, yes, work provides for you. So does the church. It provides for you. Now, the danger is falling into trust, right, that we end up trusting our work over God. The danger is falling into trusting our master card over God, right, good old master visa over there that's going to save me from this horrible, horrible situation because I trust debt and credit over God. That's the danger. And we all fall into it. Question simply is this, who do you run to? Who do you run to when you're in a crisis? Your credit card, your banker, your work, or do you go to the Lord first? And it's a good challenge because it tells you who you're trusting. Do you trust God knows your needs? Do you trust God will meet your needs? Do you trust God will engage your needs? Because he's ready to meet them. Too many of us will trust the wrong things. You know, one of the best ways to break that trust over these things is to learn to be generous. Generous people have learned to trust God and break the chain of depending on their money and their other things to save them which is one of the reasons as Christians, we've always talked about things like tithing and giving and things like that in church. When we do that stuff as a congregation, it is part of our worship because one, we're saying, God, you gave us all this. I just wanna give a little bit back to you. Thank you. Two, it allows us to get the opportunity to say, God, I don't trust all this other stuff. I know you gave me this. I trust you with it. I'm gonna give some back so that those who are in need may have help. And that's the other case because you may find yourself praying, God, Give us this day our daily bread. And you realize, 
my bread basket is full. In fact, my bread basket's overwhelmingly full. And I don't have any need in my bread basket today. And so you think, well, I don't have to pray that part. Notice what it says. It says pray for our needs. In a very real way, Jesus is saying, give us this day our daily bread. It's plural. This is our needs. And so when your needs are fine, you're still praying for your neighbor. Because their needs, which are often very similar to the needs that God's fulfilled for you, maybe what he did is he just put the bread in the basket that he's asking you to hand to the friend. Maybe this is the opportunity to ask God, well, why am I overwhelmingly full with my needs? And how can I help them? And you know there are people to help, then go help them. Because we can't pray your will be done and sit there and say, be warm and be fed, have a nice day and enjoy our neighbors together. Instead, we need to know that it's our call when we're full to have the opportunity to help someone else out and help them fill up their needs so that one day when they're overwhelmed or overwhelmed with good stuff and full, they can help and pass along this grace to others. You're blessed to be a blessing. And what happens is in that blessing then, in our prayer time, you're going, God, I want to pray for so-and-so, and he may convict you, then do something. And that's our job as the church. That's what the community is about. In some cases, you're sitting there, you're praying, you go, God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm blessed. I don't know who to give to. And that's why the church is also a storehouse. We have things like benevolence ministry, benevolence funds, where you can give to the benevolence, and it goes out to those who are in need. And we can hit things like bills and finances. There are cases where you can give in, and guess what? We can give free counseling, and we can meet with, we can meet with marriages, and we can help ensure they're, they're going. We give moral training to children and moral training to you guys. You're not going to get moral training from work, trust me. You're not going to get it from the public school. You're going to get moral training from your home, from, and you're going to get moral training from the church. That's our job, is to supply and equip you guys, and that happens because of your generosity. It happens because we are willing to take from our excess and give over so that it can be distributed out to others. And that's what's going on behind this prayer. There is a very real sense that we need to pray daily to connect with God with our needs, all of our needs, and be even willing to be answers to those needs. Now, as that finally shifts in one more way, we realize that, hey, when we're getting with God then, this isn't like a Christmas and Easter kind of thing where I just meet God, I see my grandpa at Christmas, I see my grandpa on Easter, and occasionally on my birthday. You know, not that kind of date with God. What Jesus is actually saying is you want to pray for your daily needs. Now, before we do that, though, i got to back up one second because I want to hit this. And when you have a daily need, you don't always realize what those needs are and how other people have those needs, like I said. And one of the ways we want to help you guys do this is something called the giving tree this year. Now, talking about when your bread basket is full and you can provide, some are empty. If your bread basket is empty, here's the problem. You need to tell somebody. More than God. You need to tell God and then you need to go tell somebody. And here's one of the ways we're gonna do it. This giving tree is an option for those in our church who maybe you just don't have the opportunity to supply the basics for Christmas or maybe even to keep your house together. You need to let us know. The reason why is we want to be able to step in and help out. We want to be able to give an opportunity for those who have a lot to be able to help those of us who may be struggling. And I know it's hard to ask for help, trust me. As a person whose entire life, an entire paycheck is given to him by other people, it is hard to receive. It is hard to ask. But you need to do it. That's what we're here together for. It's one of the major reasons God put us together. 
So if you would be willing, you can text TREE to this number and it'll give you the application, you can fill it out. And then what'll happen is anonymously, these needs will show up and we'll ensure that they go to the right people so that they can go purchase the things that they wanna do for their Christmases. We're not, we're not gonna give them the gifts, we're gonna give them the cards so they can go buy the things that they wanna go get for their families. Because we wanna keep their dignity. We wanna allow them to provide the, the presents and things for their own families. But that's the goal behind that. And finally, we land on the fact that we should pray daily. And that's really the, the last thing Jesus is calling us to. That this is a daily interaction with God. So this is not a monthly, weekly, or anything else. It's a daily interaction with God. And we should pray daily. God is ready to provide daily for you. He's also ready to meet with you daily. That means we want to align ourselves daily with God. All these aspects are a daily thing. That means as you're praying for our needs, it's going to turn into a list. You're going to be praying for other people. And you're going you're to be praying daily. So that list may grow. Now, some of you may have a journal. Buy a journal. Use a journal. A journal, for some reason, prayer journals don't work for me. I started working with sticky notes. They work better. Stick the sticky notes up on a wall or somewhere, and when God's answered, you pull them down. You praise Jesus, it's done, and you put it where you need to put it to remind yourself. And, and it, it, for me, it's been a simpler process than trying to keep a complicated journal. Some of you guys are like, the journal works great, use it, but keep a list. It's how you're able to continue to bring the needs before God on a daily basis, and when he answers, it gets exciting because God does answer our prayers. God is ready to answer our prayers. He knows your need before you even ask him. I can remember there was a time in my wife's and my life where we had two children and we knew a third one was on the way and we were looking at our car and we were, we were good at math, right? The car held four people, there were gonna be five. We needed something new. <laughs> and we're looking at this going like, uh, car seat laws, we can't fit three car seats back there, this ain't gonna work. I hate car seat laws, whatever. So the, uh, <laughs> did I say that at the beginning of the service? We're in, and so we started praying. We're just like, God, we, we need a van. We just knew we needed a van. Now, we'd saved about $12,000, and we were thinking, like, there's got to be a van out there for $12,000. Come on. We looked everywhere. No vans anywhere for that price that were going to be any good. And we were just like, what are we going to do? And so we were praying. My wife was audacious. She was just like, yeah, Lord, we really would love a van. Hey, and if it's at all possible, it would be awesome if it was an Odyssey, right? So that'd be cool, right? And so... We're just standing around one day, and we're at, I think it was a, uh, probably like a birthday party or something, and a friend of ours, a family friend of ours who worked in the wholesale auto industry at the time, he heard that we were looking for a van, and we're just like, hey, you know, is there, is there anything out there, like on a van? And he's like, yeah, 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 I think I got a good van. I could get you a good deal. I got a, a, we just picked one up the other day. Um, I could sell you two for wholesale. It's a, it's a Honda Odyssey. We can sell it to you for $12,000. <laughs> we're like... What? Nah, we're good. We're, we're fine, you know. Yeah, no, we totally, we took that van was a blessing for years and years and years. And to be quite honest, it was because, I, I truly believe, because my wife was willing to ask. God knew what we needed, down to the kind. Now, I'm not saying he's gonna answer you like that every single time. God's a genius. He calculates the whole of all of time and history into every prayer. And sometimes he sees that it's not going to work the way that we think it should and we will receive what we need. But God's ready to give it to you. And I want to encourage you to be willing to go to him on a daily basis and ask. It doesn't have to be long, but ask. Align yourself with his kingdom. Hallow his name and ask. You'll be amazed at what our Lord is willing to do. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for teaching us to pray. And we want your name to be so cherished and so amazingly held up. We pray that you would put us on board with your kingdom, God. We surrender ourselves over to you. We surrender over our world, our government, our HOAs, all that stuff to you, that your justice would rule. We pray that you would come quickly, Lord, and that we would be active to bring the gospel and that it would open the hearts, Lord, of those around us that would receive it. And God, as we're praying these things, you know that we have needs. And as you see fit, would you please provide for us the needs that we have so that your mission can roll out? Would you provide for us those needs that we have financially and emotionally and mentally and all these things? Because God, we are in need of you. And Lord, then would you help us to be people of forgiveness? Where we need to forgive and where we need to be forgiven, would you meet us there in that? And lastly, Lord, as we kind of head out into this day, would you prepare us and lead us into victory against the trials and the temptations we may face as you deliver us from the evil one? Thank you that you love us this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.